When Doves Cry, Prince's very first number one Hot 100 single in the U.S. The song with the guitar intro that no one can replicate. Famous for its lack of bass line and the biggest hit of 1984. Is the song we'll be talking about on this episode of the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. Back again to chat with me about the song's lyrics is Zachary Hoskins. Welcome back, Zach. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, and I didn't mean to like preface this episode by <laughs> mentioning how important this song was, <laughs> but I, I kind of did, you know? I mean, it's right. a song, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's has so much value in, in Prince's discography for so many different reasons, and it's kind of one of those songs that everybody knows, and even knows like some of the weird aspects about it, like the lack of bass line. I mean, that's, that's not something that, you know, a casual fan might know of, of other other songs in his discography but they if there's one little tidbit of trivia they might know about a song of his it might be that you know yeah right right and and this and and this may you know purple rain i guess could be would be the other one that maybe there's one song that that people who aren't don't consider themselves prince fans know but I, i i feel like when doves cry may even be more uh, of you know I, I I definitely when I was growing up I heard when doves cry a lot more than I heard purple rain uh, yeah. so you know this is this is kind of this is the one <laughs> this is the one big uh, Prince hit I think um, of the of head and shoulders above all the rest yeah I mean no no question I mean it literally was the number one song the best selling song the most popular song of the entire year 1984. Not just the summer or for a month or whatever, like for the entire calendar year. This was the song that stood head and shoulders above all the rest. And there was a lot of really great songs, iconic songs that came out in 1984 that were big hits. And this one stands above them in terms of like its chart position and sales. So it was big. It's huge. Yeah, and and it's and if you it's so interesting because I know you know like you always say this is a lyrics podcast and ultimately what we're going to spend more of our time discussing the lyrics, but this is such an odd song. It's like there's not just the lack of bass, but you know you already mentioned the guitar intro. It has this this crazy you know like a, a guitar solo that wouldn't sound out of place on a Van Halen record. Mm-hmm. And then going into this synth pop, you know, uh, that wouldn't sound out of place on a human league record. <laughs> and then, you know, you have Prince's vocals are bringing this kind of R and B dimension to it. It's just this beautiful mutant, uh, with all of these different influences coming together in a way that I think if you were a record executive in 1984 or if you were a radio programmer in 1984, you would not necessarily listen to this and say, oh, yes, this is going to be the biggest hit of the year. It's so cutting edge and so unlike anything else that, you know, it's it's easy to kind of it's it's easy to look back on when Doves Cry and be like, well, if, oh, of course, you know, this is Prince's big pop hit. But it is such an odd song um, just sonically. And it's still it still just sounds different from from anything else uh that that prince did before this and and from you know certainly from anything else that anyone else was doing yeah i would agree with that and i i do have very very distinct memories of hearing this song on the radio the first time i was 
fortunate enough to be old enough that I could remember like the first time I heard this song. And I knew Prince from Little Red Corvette, 1999. But, you know, he's just another pop artist to me at the time. I didn't really think much of it other than I liked those songs, but never really gave him or, you know, his band much of a much of a second thought. And then this song just came on the radio. And I was I was in my car, or I was in my parents' car. I wasn't driving. I was nine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was in the car with my family, and um, we were driving around. And I heard it, and I kind of nudged my sister. I said, "Like, what? Who is this?" And she's like, "Oh, this is this is the new song by Prince." And I was like, "What the hell is going on?" In this song? <laughs> I was I was just kind of floored. I guess. I mean, I was really. It, it struck me as so odd, like you already mentioned. Everything about it just was so cutting, like you said, cutting edge. It was very avant-garde sounding. Not that I even knew what that was at the time. Right. All I knew was it didn't sound like anything else. And I was um, transfixed, for sure, by the opening guitar riff that you don't really ever hear again. Like, a lot of times, good songs can open up with a, a cool guitar riff, but they'll repeat that later like it'll show back up in in you know like a guitar solo later or as part of the riff that permeates the entire track but you never hear that again he does that and then it's gone and you don't mm. get you don't get that guitar sound again and there's a guitar solo but it doesn't sound like this and then like he has these like uh this vocal loop you know at the very beginning that's really weird sounding you know it's 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 like a sample of himself making some really guttural noises with his with his vocals or else it's you know highly manipulated voice which right could be as well and it's just all very odd and then of course then you get the chorus which we'll get to but the chorus this is what it sounds like when doves cry just you know begs questions i mean nobody really knows or at least at that time it was very difficult to understand what that really meant because there was no context of the film yet because it was released ahead of the film. Right. So you just kind of were left with this song that was very, uh, it, it asked a lot more questions than it answered. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And so it was, it was super memorable. And I, um, I will always remember that song first time I heard it, which is pretty rare because I don't have too many other instances where I could say I remember the first time I heard song X or song Y. But I right. do have that with this one. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that's kind of interesting about this song is that it was the last one written for the film, right? So it was, it was kind of like uh, commissioned by the filmmakers to Prince, like, I, we need another, we need another song mm-hmm. to soundtrack to the scene where you're kind of pondering life and pondering your know, your relationship difficulties with Apollonia and your parents, and it's going to be like a montage scene. We need music to go over this. What can you give us? Uh, okay, sure, I can do this. <laughs> and here, and here we have like the one of the biggest songs that he ever created based off of this. I mean, it wasn't even something that was part of the original vision for the for the album until yeah. March of 1984, which is crazy because that's like three months before it was released as a single. Right, and he was already. I, I feel like he was already halfway through recording his next album <laughs> by the time he he got to this. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. That's a great point. It's crazy to think that we could have had Purple Rain uh, without When Doves Cry. Like that, that was a perfectly, you know, with, that almost happened. There was almost that album would have existed without this song, which, uh, you know, from 
the, today's perspective, it's it's unimaginable almost. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's it's just a really cool kind of um, footnote about Purple Rain in the album that it's the most iconic song, or at least depending on who you ask, it's the most iconic song. Some people would say it's Purple Rain now here in the 21st mm-hmm. century, but at the time it was in the 80s, it was his most iconic song, I think. Right. And um, the fact that, like you said, it almost didn't make the album at all because it was was not intended for that. It was just done um, as a kind of a, like I said, commissioned him to, <laughs> to quickly pump out another song with no expectations. You know, it just it didn't even need to be anything all that important or serious. It just needed to to fit the tone of the film, which it, it very clearly does. It has a lot of references to um, like plot points in the song. And as we start going through the lyrics, that's kind of what I've been doing a lot for these Purple Rain episodes is, is trying to provide context of the lyrics to the film, because I think a lot of that even if it wasn't intentional, everybody's going to do it. Everybody's going to make connections to the right. movie because that's it's forever tied with this film. And every single song on the soundtrack had a place in the movie, which isn't always the case with soundtracks, right? I mean, sometimes movie soundtracks incorporate songs that are found in the film, but sometimes they're just like inspired by, you know? Right, right, yeah. And we've seen that, but that's not the case with Purple Rain. All nine songs... Every single one of them is played at some point in the film, either as the revolution on stage or in the case of Take Me With You and When Doves Cry as like montage or scene uh, scene fillers. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a great song. And I don't I don't know. I mean, as far as like um, its significance pop culturally, you know, I, it was it was huge that year. But it influenced, I think, a lot of, of artists moving forward. And we definitely know that it was sampled by MC Hammer <laughs> right, bare <yeah>. minimally <laughs> for the song perhaps, Prey. <laughs> perhaps its greatest uh, accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> got to pray just to make it today. <laughs> yeah. Well, what from a, from a uh, pop cultural importance standpoint, Zach, do you... Um, do you know anything else as far as like who this could have influenced or any other artists or musicians that this song kind of influenced? Well, I, I mean, I guess I was thinking about it. Uh, I was listening to this song in my car on the way, you know, dri- driving uh, back home to get ready to record this podcast. And um, yeah, it, it struck me that, you know, like I think a lot of Prince music, this is assembling a lot of different styles into one uh you know into a a combination you know it's it's familiar ingredients but the combination is something that feels new um you know like i i mentioned earlier it has that very like 80s kind of metal eddie van halen style shredding you know on both the the beginning guitar riff and then later for the solo uh the the chorus, um, you know, the the very famous uh, hook, the little do 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 do, like that's that's definitely uh, you know. Again, I could hear the Human League doing that. I could hear uh, you know, like any number of sort of like new wave, new romantic type bands, mm-hmm. and and you know, so you can hear his influences coming into it, but then coming out, it's like this combination just feels indelibly like Prince. And I think that this was a period when. The, what we think of today is like 
80s music, you know, a- MTV music, uh, that, that like that first generation of MTV was really kind of coalescing. And, uh, you know, things that used to be maybe on the fringe, like hard rock, like new wave and punk are, are becoming like, now this is just pop music, you know? And so it, it, it's a case of, of music that was, you know, maybe on the edge, like we talked about, maybe a little avant-garde. Now it's becoming the center. And you can hear, you know, very quickly in the next couple of, of years, like this is sort of, I, I would argue when Dove's Cry is still much more kind of creative and bold than a lot of what we would hear on MTV. But this sort of like same year as uh, as when Dove's Cry comes out, uh, Bruce Springsteen is using synthesizers. You know, it, it's becoming mainstream music and i think you know it's interesting when i was driving here i was listening on spotify and when you just listen to one track on spotify it starts playing you know radio based on that track after it's done and it was really interesting to hear like what the algorithm picked for to follow up when doves cry because it's immediately started playing pink houses by by john mellencamp which is (laughs) Not what I would have thought to play uh, after after when Doves Cry, you know. So I, I skip that, and then it starts playing Once in a Lifetime by Talking Heads, and and so it's it's like you start you're like ah, you know, this is interesting because it's almost like when Doves Cry sort of is like sitting at the intersection of John Mellencamp and and Talking Heads and uh, and, and you know Van Halen and and all of these all, all of these different artists, yeah, and yeah. it's starting to become this like. It, it's turning this very heterogeneous blend of influences into this kind of homogenous sound, um, and I and I and I mean that not uh, homogenous usually has negative connotations, but I, you know, it, it's it's smoothing over these influences into something that is just this is what Prince sounds like, you know, and and that and that became one of the kind of dominant sounds of the eighties. Yeah, that is that is an interesting point. I think. I mean, the other thing about When Doves Cry, it's like I asked this question to myself, like, is this song funky? Right. Like, I don't I don't know if it is, you know? I mean, some of the, the tropes that you're so used to with, uh, like, a funk song that, that Prince was heavily into, like, the, a bass line is really kind of important in, in funk music. And, <laughs> right. Uh, lack of bass line. I mean, if you're, like, if you're into Prince because you loved his, like, his, his funk jams, um you you might not dig when doves cry that might not be your your jam you know it might be just a little too out there yeah 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 i think it's funky in the way that like again talking heads was funky you know although even talking heads had a a, a, you know tina waymouth was a very funky bass player so uh it it may even be a little less funky than talking heads (laughs) yeah it's just one of those things like i love this song immensely it it might be my favorite prince song of all time but i know plenty of people who don't really like this song that much right Um, and it's and i think it's because it sounds just it's just not the the prince that they prefer you know and they have certain style of prince that they really like better and this doesn't really fit in with that nor does it really fit in with much else if i'm just trying to think like oh and like your example of spotify playlist like it tries to find similar artists or similar sounds it's difficult to even do that in prince's catalog like right limited to prince's catalog what else would you play in a similar vein of when doves cry yeah you could probably pull a few things that come close 
but uh, there's not a ton. There's not a ton because he was really doing more um, funk-related music early in his career in disco and dance music. And then after that, you know, I guess you could pick maybe one of his more rock songs, I guess, to, to try to fit in with that category, like maybe something like the cross or i don't know i mean something off of um around the world in a day that was a little psychedelic or trippy mm. and sure that might fit in but um even in prince's music i think this song stands out as as an outlier yeah yeah that's and it's interesting because i mean like earlier i said that this is like th- this is prince's you know th- this is the essence of, of of prince's sound and i think that like both things are weirdly kind of true uh, you know, cause on the one hand, when you hear this, you know, you hear the, like the treated, um, you know, Lynn LM one and you hear the, the, you know, the synthesizer patches and it's like, this sounds like Prince, you know, um, this sounds like canonical classic Prince, but on the other hand, like you point out, there aren't a lot of other songs in his catalog that you can really point to other than ge- just generally, like they both sound like Prince. This this is also an outlier in in a lot of ways. Um, it's doing it's doing different things um, even than the songs on uh, the other songs on Purple Rain. Yeah, and just like any good Prince song, music and lyrics combine to to really make a song memorable. So we've talked a bit about you know its its place in Prince's discography and history, and a lot of that has to do with how it sounds, but the lyrics are are a very important part too and every i think because of the popularity of this song these lyrics are pretty iconic as far as like people knowing them can sing them by you know word by word right there isn't a lot of confusion as to what the lyrics are but there may be some as far as what he's trying to say and convey with these lyrics is probably where there's i would guess the most uh the most confusion or maybe the most um, different opinions about it. So, I mean, the lyrics are, are really important in the song and I think it's time to go through it. Yeah, let's do it. first verse is dig if you will the picture of you and i engaged in a kiss the sweat of your body covers me can you my darling can you picture this okay so right off the bat you know the dig if you will the picture that line in and of itself is a line that people just know because well first of all it kicks off one of his most well-known songs so people right. just kind of gravitate towards the first line of any song like dearly beloved or mm-hmm. you know i never meant to cause you any sorrow but dig if you will the picture is a line that people know and this whole first verse is very it kind of it's a very sensual you know kind of it, it paints a very sensual picture in my mind right um, what else do you get from that besides a lot, a lot of real sensuality and 
and, and kind of general sexiness. Like yeah. How to speak here. Yeah, I think one thing that always interests me about Prince as a lyricist, um, and you can see this all the way to his very early work, um, although I, I think he obviously, I, I think he got, he matured and, and got better as he went, but this is something that existed even, you know, way back with his first album. You never forget that the perspective, you know, the persona that, that the lyrics are coming from. Um, you never forget that this is a person in a body. You know, you know what I mean? Like, the, like the body is very, is very important. Um, you know, it's it's not just. I mean, here he literally says, you know, the sweat of your body covers me. It's like there's this there's this physicality that uh, that you're always very conscious of in a Prince song. You know, I, I think uh, a lot of artists are kind of sexy in a way that you know, maybe is sort of euphemistic or, uh, you know, in, in a way that maybe um, doesn't feel carnal in, in, in the sense that, you know, Prince, Prince's music is, is very much of, of the body about what, what bodies do, the kind of uh, mechanics of sexuality, not, not even in a, in a, you know, pornographic, like dehumanizing way, but, but his, when he paints a picture of of sex, it feels sort of physiologically real in a way that I think a lot of pop lyrics don't, uh, and a lot of R and B lyrics don't. You, well, for sure you do. And he, what he's trying to do right off the bat, because he says, "Dig if you will the picture," so he wants to paint a picture, right? Because that's what he's trying to do. In this, he's letting us know right off the bat that he's intending to paint a picture with his words. And so he could say, uh, you and I engaged in a kiss and having sex, but a better way of saying that maybe in a little more, um, like I said, sensual, but also paints a picture in a different way that really gives you a sense of not just that two people are having sex, but in what position, right? Because <laughs> right. the sweat of your body covers me, you know, that means that they're very close. You're not just kissing fully clothed necessarily or you know having a peck on the cheek this is this is full carnality two people naked sweaty having sex and how else would the sweat of one's body cover you if they weren't you know completely their their bodies were touching i mean that is that is exactly what the only way that that would happen and instead of saying our bodies are touching he's just saying the sweat of your body covers me which tells us and the listener the exact same thing it, it provides the same output which is you get a mental image of of what's going on but done in a in, you know a more poetic way and just a, a better way of doing it which is what you know a good lyricist is meant to do is conveying something that everybody sings about sex right but doing it in a way that you've never really heard before Right. So he's asking his darling, can you picture this? So I'm getting from this. It's like either they, I don't know. I mean, I, I, when I think of this, am I, is he saying this as a, as a, somebody who is wanting this person to imagine what it would be like to have sex with him? Or is this something like he's trying to remind her of what it was like when they have sex? I don't know if that, makes a difference in how right. it's interpreted but i don't really know the answer to that question i always just kind of wondered what he means by that 
Yeah, well, it's in this the 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 tense of these lyrics is this kind of um, I'm not enough of a grammar nerd to be able to tell you like what exact, but it's it's like a hypothetical. You know, we don't know if this happened or is going to happen or is currently happening. You know, it's it's this sort of it, it's it could be any of these things. It could be all of these things. Uh, it's it's interesting, and that also feels very Prince is sort of like leaving the you know leaving these kinds of things open uh there's there's it's it's very open to interpretation i would also say just this is sort of a general uh comment about the the lyrical tone of the song overall but you can see it right from the beginning here this is very it's a very romantic song in the like a like capital r you know it's it's there's this sort of you know floweriness to the language you know he doesn't just say we're kissing engaged in a kiss which is you know not how mm-hmm. <laughs> not how not how people you know non-prince uh people talk you know yeah, that's engaged in a kiss <laughs> uh it's this very it's almost it's like it, it, it's it's almost to the point of parody but he's i think part one of the strengths of of prince as a lyricist is, is he knows exactly how over the top to be uh, and you know this is a this is a time when he's basically dressing like Lord Byron. You know he's wearing the the frilly shirts and he's got the the the, the curls and um, you know I think I, I mentioned like uh, the new romantic movement as a as a kind of touch point for for this era of yeah. Prince. You can tell that he's playing with that kind of iconography and it's this you know this is like this is like uh, it's Wuthering Heights. This is sort of this is like romantic capital R romantic literature. Yeah. Uh, and um, and you can feel this is that's a major sort of part of his sensibility at this point in time. Um, you can even hear you, you can hear it in the way that he 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 gives it in this sort he sings it in this sort of affected kind of like mid-Atlantic accent uh, that, that he that he puts on a lot around this around this era. This is, I think, very emblematic of that period. And, you know, they sort of visually portray it in the uh in the video you know you can you just hearing this first verse you just see you can see that you know that purple uh room filled with dry ice smoke and doves flying around and he's in the bath you know like it's it's such a it, it creates this visual image that is like sexy and like almost silly you know it's it's like it's like right on the edge of being ridiculous uh but he pulls it off yeah, the video, The it's funny you mentioned the video because I do have notes about this because how can you talk about when don't cry <laughs> without mentioning the video? But the video does something that I always felt was like, at the time it wasn't a big deal because I wasn't, I didn't know what to expect. But nowadays when I watch it, they have a lot of the, the video, especially at the very beginning, it seems to have a lot of takes that just linger. Like it's, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of like cuts. It's like a long take of Prince just staring at you as the doves fly away, and and then you just see him. He's just left there in the in the bathtub, and you know then he crawls out, and it's just one like really slow long take of him crawling towards you, and then there's like this long scene where it shows him kissing Apollonia from the film, and it's like normally nowadays, or at least in the past, I don't know, twenty so some years. The, the intent of videos is to just 
throw a lot of images at you and a lot of different things and and uh, little really quick cuts and moving on from one scene to the next to the next to the next but this video moves very slowly right and deliberately and it and all those are parts of almost like how the song goes too because the song starts kind of slowly and deliberately with this after you know the opening and um the way he sings these lyrics as you mentioned is in its affected tone and and it just kind of all melts together into this perfect package where you've got these lyrics that are being sung slowly as Prince is crawling slowly. And then you have this slow dissolve to this scene of him kissing Apollonia as he's talking about, you know, sweat of your body covers me and heat between me and you. I mean, like, it's a very sexy video. Right. And I've watched this video with my kids. Not, with, you know, I was very young when I saw this video. It's just because of what the age I was at and it was all over TV. But now I watch it and I'm like, yeah, it's a little awkward <laughs> for me. And it's, and it's just a normal video. It's not like it's, you know, an NC-17 straight to, you know, uh, YouTube video. That's right. Yeah, it's this not just all over. Right. This was all over MTV in 1984. And even now I look at it and I'm like, wow, this this was a very erotic video. And they did everything they could do to make it that way with the, with this images on the screen at the same time he's singing about the sweat of your body covers me and in second verse dream if you can a courtyard an ocean of violets and bloom animals strike curious poses they feel the heat the heat between me and you so that's another really sensual uh, verse when it you know once again it, you have a very romantic approach you know dream if you can a courtyard of oceans and of violets and bloom and then talking about animals but then at the end it's really all about sex and really about the connection between two people feeling the heat the heat between me and you and so these first two verses do a lot of the same type of things in my mind do you feel the same way about that yeah, I agree. I think this is just sort of like continuing to it's almost like, you know, if you think of this in terms of a a movie, um, which is appropriate since this was written for a movie, it's like we start on this tight shot of these, you know, lovers intertwined, and now we're sort of like, you know, zooming out and you and you see the and you see the setting. And it is of course because this is Prince in nineteen eighty four, it is it is this you know, borderline ridiculous <laughs> setting. Like they're somehow they're in some kind of courtyard with surrounded by animals. Uh, it's <laughs> it's it's both it's both easy to picture and and and, and difficult to, to picture. Yeah, yeah uh, I, so. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, there's something interesting. There's also a line in. Um, I always think about this: the the line "animals strike curious poses." And uh, a line in Raspberry Beret, um, the horses wonder who you are. There's this this interesting uh, theme of, of Prince at this point in his career where he's um, he's thinking about animals watching him have sex a lot. Like, I, I don't uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know where that comes from, but the, the, it is this odd recurring theme <laughs> in his lyrics at this time. <laughs> I made the same note in my notes about the, the Raspberry Beret line so we we're both on the same page there like what is up with that right it's a it's a highly specific theme to have in your lyrics but but it's it's one that that, that shows up at this point in prince's career yeah it, it, those were more specific courses here it's just animals 
Right, right, yeah. right. It could be elephants. It could be you know tigers, yeah, who knows? rabbits, yeah, squirrels. Like <laughs> it's almost yeah. It, it seems it comes across more like this. Uh, I don't know, like this dreamland. You know, uh, right. Ocean I picture violence. deer for some reason. I don't know why, but I specifically picture deer, like stopping, you know, like deer do, and just freezing and watching. I, I don't, but I, I, I actually never thought about what animals I picture, but, but it's deer apparently. So. Huh. I never, <laughs> whatever reason, I never really had a picture of what I imagined what animals. I, you know, deer makes sense because they're they're everywhere, and um, you know, the chances of deer wandering into your ocean of violets yeah <laughs> uh, seems more likely than uh, other mammals that don't even exist on this uh, in this hemisphere <laughs> so right <laughs> yeah that makes more sense to me as well but of course you know ocean of violets he had to pick violet and you know if he's going to pick a flower right that's going to cover the courtyard it's going to be violets because we're in the purple era and then um you know a curious pose animal strike curious poses I just love that line. I mean, for no other reason, just because it sounds cool and it, yeah, it really has an an intriguing way of of just kind of describing that that look when animals notice you and they're looking at you like, um, I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. I don't know if I'm supposed to just sit here and not move, or right. <laughs> if they make a move toward me, I'm gone. But if they just stay still, I will continue on my way. And you see that, you know, when you encounter wildlife. Um, every once in a while, I, I, you know, I don't encounter wildlife that much anymore, but I, when I lived in more rural settings, every once in a while, I would encounter a deer in the wild and, you know, to your point, they just like, what? Okay. What do I do? (laughs) And they give you that weird look. Okay, so then um, after the second verse, we finally get the chorus, and it is, How can you just leave me standing, alone in a world that's so cold? Maybe I'm just too demanding. Maybe I'm just like my father, too bold. Maybe you're just like my mother. She's never satisfied. Why do we scream at each other? This is what it sounds like when doves cry. Okay, so the chorus chorus that uh, everybody seems to kind of know by heart right in spite of the fact it's a pretty long chorus i mean there's several lines in this you know i would i other songs that are iconic from this album the chorus to purple rain is basically purple rain repeated over (laughs) right (laughs) yeah but you've got a very elaborate chorus here with multiple lines saying multiple different things going different directions asking questions who's to really blame for the way he is who's to blame for the way they are together is mm-hmm. it uh is it nature or nurture you know that kind of thing um so the chorus for you zach what uh what are some of the talking points you wanted to bring up with the chorus well i think for one thing you know like the what you were just saying these are these are like deep existential questions to be asking in a song that is supposed to be you know on and was on like top 40 radio you know like it's it's interesting to think about it like that uh because 
you know, I mean, this is a this is a familiar scenario for, uh, for for a Prince song in particular and for a pop song in general. You know, why why do you just leave me standing alone? And you know, like the, the I, I feel like second only to the love song is is the the breakup song um, in in terms of you know stature and ubiquity in in pop music. So you know, that's all like okay, that's what we've got so far. But then it's like it becomes this you know, this like therapy session, like he's, he's talking about, you know, where does this come from? Is it, is it my parents? Like, why do we, why do we do this? It's, it, it's, it's going on this deeper level, which I think is interesting. And I also think one of the reasons why this song is so sort of universal, you know, we, we, we've moved from this very, you know, again, romantic, like flowery, um, this kind of fanciful verses to now this chorus that I think is, while it's deeper than we're usually familiar with and sort of like more introspective and more almost like Freudian, <laughs> uh, it's it's something that I think everybody can kind of relate to. It's both it's this it's this interesting balance of highly specific. You know, he's he's speaking from the perspective of a character who is also basically him um but the the traits of his parents that he's talking about are vague enough that i think we can all find something to identify with and and i think that might be one of the reasons why despite being this kind of like longer wordier chorus it it resonates with with people um you know because who hasn't at some point in their life thought like why am I so fucked up is it my parents fault you know (laughs) like that's that's pretty universal so yeah, the song has like very emo chorus to it. Yeah, you know, and isn't it? Is it kind of emo to me? Like this could yeah. have been sung by, like some I don't know screamo band in the early two thousands, and you could see them jamming on their guitars and screaming these lines. Maybe it's just too demanding. Um, and it's just because it's like it's one of those things where you know, as people, as humans, move from teenage years to adulthood and they start to examine themselves a little bit more examine their own failings then you start to think back to like you know what's my problem why am i the way i am and is it my parents fault i I don't know let's explore that you know let's ask these questions because we you know we're all products of our own environment and and sometimes those environments involve uh, you know, messed up home lives, and in the in the vision that we get from the film is Prince, the kid. Sorry, the kid came from a messed up home life because Prince was asked to write this song for the film. So it's not like he had this vision for this song, as far as we know. Granted, who knows? It could have he could have had it in his head years before, but all we can tell is that he was asked to write this song for this film. So he likely was thinking about how it's going to fit in with the film. And so lines like, maybe I'm just like my father, too bold. So in the film, his father is, you know, you could you could call him bold because he's abusive, um, you know, has a failed career that he blames on his family or his wife. And mother, like, she's never satisfied. We don't really get a good, and the film doesn't do a good job of really kind of fleshing her out much. I don't feel. Uh, I feel like her character is underwritten and doesn't have much to do other than just get beat on. Yeah. But, you know, that one could say, like, in in the kid's father's eyes, 
she was never satisfied. Well, maybe she's never satisfied because he was failed musician. He couldn't help provide for the family. But you know, one could come off and, and come across as that being like, okay, well, you never really accepted me for who I was, and you know, didn't ever accept the fact that I was a musician that couldn't make it. And you know, there's some parallels, potential parallels to Prince's real life with that as right. well, from what we were, what we know about his real parents. And uh, why do we scream at each other? You know, that of course the video hammers this home by showing scenes of, you know, a couple of scenes where of, of Prince's or the, I keep saying Prince, the kid's dad um, hitting his mom and Prince breaking him up, breaking up the that scene. And so it, it all that the chorus very well fits into the film. But you can also look at it a little bit, and people tend to, I think, look at it a little bit autobiographical as well, even if that's not really accurate. I think also one thing I wanted to point out is the first two verses are like are very sexy, very romantic. They paint a, a really clear picture of what we're supposed to see of the two two people in love or lust, however you want to describe it. But then the chorus takes this really kind of emotional dark turn, and turns the song into a much more emotional and darker place than the first two verses would indicate. Yeah. And then this is what it sounds like when doves cry is another line, you know, very iconic line from the song where you, you kind of feel like, okay, so what is he trying to say here? And I think that when anybody's trying to dissect lyrics to the song, these are good. This is the line that most people are just going to try to wrap their heads around. I feel like, because it's, obviously a metaphor right i mean doves don't cry so we have to <laughs> kind of try to figure out what is what is that what is he trying to say with that so i have some thoughts on that but i'm gonna let you go first with that one zach what this is what it sounds like when doves cry it it is odd and then you know of course it it bridges right into the the uh, keyboard hook which is also you know sort of interesting because the you know it's not a very mournful sound you know uh, the song it, itself the the arrangement is it doesn't sound sad necessarily it doesn't no. even you know it's 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 sort of bright um which i think is really interesting yeah so it's so it's like we we have a we have this use of of this you know this, this like floating subjects you know but we don't but but we don't really know what this is you know <laughs> uh is is it the screaming is it the screaming at each other is it the is it the sound of this of the song itself um is it you know is it something else it's it's it is a very i i, I don't really know uh what to make of that line it's it's strange it is strange it is strange and so we know that doves are symbols of peace uh so i think one and this is I'm not going to say that this is what I thought of when I was much younger. I didn't. Right. But but thinking of it now as an adult and also somebody who has a lyrics podcast, it's like, OK, I got to I got to kind of figure some things out. And so what are some potential ways that one could interpret doves crying? So if, if doves are a symbol of peace and they're crying, maybe that tells the listener that there's violence or, you know, they're. Uh, there's crying because there's no there's no peace. Like mm. in a peaceful scenario, the doves are representative of that. So if they're crying, maybe that means that peace has been broken. 
Why do we scream at each other? How can you leave me standing alone in the world so cold? Father's demanding and bold. Mother's never satisfied. These are all kind of, I would say, negative things, negative thoughts. Right. So then to end that, end all of these lines about negativity and dissatisfaction with crying doves is like the breaking of the peace. And the other thing, and we'll get this on the third verse, but maybe I'll just save it because the third verse kind of gives me a little bit of a clue, another clue, but it can be used for so many things when doves cry because also the film, uh, the kid and Apollonia have been fighting, (laughs) of course, because they spend half the movie fighting. And (laughs) and he's kind of uh, upset with her for choosing Morris but he's also thinking about his parents and the fight that they just had and all of the um, bad feelings that he's dealing with and just angst over that. And so, I mean, it could be a metaphor for, you know, two lovers fighting, like the kid in Apollonia in the film. Mm-hmm. It's just a, just another way to kind of describe any kind of, any kind of trauma or any kind of um, disagreement, fighting, just negative emotions in general is kind of where i go with this one and the fact that he as you mentioned follows up this is what it sounds like when does cry you kind of get the impression like right after he says that he's going to show us what it sounds like when doves cry musically right and it's hard to really so you're you're expecting something <laughs> but all you get is dun, 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 dun. yeah <laughs> dun, 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 dun. like oh really yeah okay. <laughs> all right i wasn't expecting that and and I think that I remember very distinctly as a kid, everybody really kind of being confused by that because I I was expecting something else. I don't know what I was expecting, like a really cool keyboard line or something that was somewhat mimicking an animal sounds uh, with you know Prince's voice combined with a guitar or or you know, keyboard or synthesizer. But you don't. You get something really simple and understated. third verse touch if you will my stomach feel how it trembles inside you've got the butterflies all tied up don't make me chase you even doves have pride okay third verse now you know we're still we still get a little bit of sensuality when he says touch if you will my stomach you know that that implies that there's you know touching going on you have i get uh, imagery of a woman tentatively touching his stomach because he asks her to, not necessarily because it's, you know, part of their foreplay or whatever. It's like, mm. I want you to touch me in this place. I need you to, you know, I'm giving you a very specific location on my body. I want you to touch me. And I just have this image of her very tentatively doing that because, well, maybe it's because it came after the course where we know that there's been some fighting. We know that there's been some 
um, screaming at each other, and then for him to ask her to touch him is uh, maybe a little little different question than it would have been if we were just leading up to this with like this very romantic and we kept down that path, kept going down that path of, of sensual and romantic. But now we know that there's a problem between the lovers of the song. You definitely, get, I don't know, I get this like real tentative approach towards touch. Something like you don't really want to do, but you really need to. He's asking you to, but you don't really want to. Right. Yeah. And then he's trembling, you know, which uh, is, again, we're back to this like very overwrought uh, romantic kind of it's like high drama in these very small, you know, physical responses. Mm-hmm. So the part of this this verse that lends itself to a different different take on the song is that last line or like the last two lines don't make me chase you even doves have pride to have a line that says even doves have pride when he's saying don't make me chase you even doves have pride so that tells me that he's saying i don't want to chase you because i have pride and the pride my pride is telling me maybe i should not go after you because i don't know uh the problems we're having, I feel like, are mutual problems. Why should I be the one to try to fix things when we're both having problems? I mean, should it be like you come after me and then the, and my pride is telling me, let her come to me and see if she wants to fix things or wants to reconcile? And the fact that he's saying even doves have pride almost tells me, like, are, are humans doves? Is this just a metaphor that people are doves in this song? Right. Yeah, it wasn't clear, I think, up until this point. I mean, you know, we could have maybe, because he says this is what it sounds like when doves cry, and he was describing, um, you know, these conflicts and arguments and, you know, screaming at each other, like, we could have made the leap that he's one of the doves, you know, but it isn't until this point where where we, it's sort of like, now he's, he's making it clear that when he says when this is what it sounds like when doves cry, he's referring to the people that he's, that he's talking about. Um, and then you also have, you know, it's, it's sort of interesting. You have this sort of cross song continuity uh, where in, I would die for you. He, he refers to himself as a dove, you know? So it's, it is sort of, that's right. You know, you're, you're, you're kind of, encouraged to make the connection between those two songs also. Um, so then you have now, like now it's, now it has a, a, a religious <laughs> underpinning to it, you know, cause uh, yeah. obviously doves are very symbolically significant in Christianity. And, you know, I would die for you is, is very much about that. Um, so it, it's now this symbolism has gotten sort of even more rich at this point in the song. Yeah. I didn't think of it that way before, but you're right that there is that line, and I would die for you. And we know Prince had had a very strong connection with doves. I mean, he always had doves at Paisley Park, um, right? So this this aspect, the symbolism used in this era, didn't go away once he was kind of done with the Purple Rain era and kind of done with this album cycle and the touring cycle. You know, he was so quick to move on to different ideas, but doves stayed with him forever right. so in I don't, I don't think it's just because this song was really popular and you wanted to make sure that 
he was always intertwined with dubs because of the popularity of this song. I think it, it meant something to him in a deeper way that it dubs might mean to most people. And yeah, the spiritual side, you know, the fact that they represent peace, all these things could be reasons why he was so drawn, drawn to dubs in general, and then to, to use them as the subject of this song to kind of, as we come into grips with representing humanity, representing people themselves and just using doves as, as symbolism for people instead of saying this is what it sounds like when I cry or this is what it sounds like when we cry um, we're going to use I'm going to use doves and it's going to it's going to make the song that much more memorable to people yeah so yeah after the chorus we we get another round of choruses and you know the, I'm trying to think how the song normally fades out the the cursed cursed uh, seven inch radio edit <laughs> uh, you skip a lot of the really kind of cool musical portions of the song it even starts to fade out during the guitar solo <laughs> which, which is crazy like who fades out during a guitar solo right but right yeah <laughs> the song does because it's 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 not a super long song it's like under six minutes but it's it's well over five if you play it from beginning to end and that's just too long for for pop radio right. so i get what they needed to do and and what do you cut i mean you cut a verse or something to make sure you get that guitar solo so you know fading out the guitar solo is what it is but nobody must you know they have no choice would probably listen to the the truncated radio edit over the the full um, album version but it, i i really like even towards the end, like that really, I don't know, it's kind of like a more classical sounding keyboard sounds that are being played towards the yeah. end. I really, I really get into that. And it's just another way, as we talked about at the very, very beginning of this episode, how there's so many different parts of the song that are added together um, to make this one composition because that sound towards the end of the song sounds nothing like really what we had been listening to up to the beginning. The very beginning's guitar solo sounds nothing like what we got throughout most of the song. Uh, and it's just, it's like, uh, I don't know, like this really elaborate puzzle that somebody's putting together and they're pick taking elements from different um, musical styles to create this one song. And it's, it's really, really cool. Yeah. I just love the way it ends. Yeah, it's just, it's such a, um, yeah, like you said, it comes out of nowhere, but it also meshes so well with the tone of the song. It's this very, you know, these like Baroque sounding strings. You can definitely imagine that, like, this is the same guy who says, engaged in a kiss, you know? Uh, it, it feels, it, it feels very like, almost excessive um in in the same in the same way that some of the lyrics do um and in a way that i think really complement each other yeah it's it's and it also it this feels very much like prince as a as a student of the 60s um you know i i think especially starting with around the world in the day his the influence of groups like the beatles would be a lot more obvious um, but this reminds me of like um, the the piano solo at the end of um, "In My Life" by the Beatles. That sounds almost like a harpsichord. You know, it's 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 like this kind of using 
classical music using you know baroque uh music as as this way to sort of like elevate pop that feels very 1960s to me and i think this is a a period when when prince was kind of looking to you know 60s pop artists uh, as a way to create something different you know make like play with different sounds um and sort of and sort of expand expand his range um and you know this is something that he would kind of make his own and like later he'd involve Claire Fisher and have, you know, real strings. And then on Love Sexy, he'd go back to the fake strings. And, you know, um, it becomes part of Prince's overall palette of of different musical styles and, and sounds that he would employ. Um, but at this point, it, it feels to me like a like a specific nod to 60s psychedelic pop. For sure. There's, there's um, sounds from like Sgt. Pepper's album that you can also kind of say or influence influence this sound at the end of one does cry something like uh being right for the benefit of mr kite or something like that i can hear bits of like the musicality of that song as as this song ends as well so i i can totally i totally get that the the actual last lyrics of the song that we get are prince repeating don't cry don't cry don't cry and so now with him saying don't cry i guess you you kind of it, it maybe gives it a little more optimistic tone or like maybe not maybe it's just more sadness uh, i don't know i mean if you're telling somebody don't cry le- that leads me to believe that they don't want to see that person sad you know they want them to to be happy or you know they're there you know somebody's patting you on the back don't cry they're there so I don't I don't know I don't know what I get from that besides just Prince saying he doesn't want to see any more crying you know this the problems that are occurring in the movie and and through the song he's tired of it you know he just he's just doesn't want any more sadness do you get anything beyond that from this ending don't cry no I don't think but yeah I think that's an interesting point you know don't don't cry is sort of a something that that could be it, it could be soothing or it could be a dismissal you know it's it, again right. it's, it's this it's this like it's ambiguous you know in a way that i think a lot of a lot of prince's music is and and i mean it's like this whole kind of, song you mean <laughs> right yeah exactly and it's sort of it's emblematic of you know his general approach to emotions you know this is someone that could be extremely revealing of of his like inner thoughts um while at the same time being you know deliberately unclear about about what he means you know it's it's sort of that in a in a nutshell you know prince was both somebody who really kind of poured his heart out in music and was also very you know deliberately unrevealing uh so this those that simple expression don't cry kind of like it embodies both of those things it's both like self-soothing and also you know you have to get rid of your emotions you know you have to hide your emotions yeah you know the tone is everything when you say lines like that right he's almost saying like don't cry so he wants he wants that person it's almost like a plea it feels like a plea in many ways so i get it more less less dismissal than than it is like a plea for them to to really 
like reconcile or I'm just tired of this. Let's let's stop this this hurting each other. We got to stop. Right. Um, and I'm I'm it's killing me to see you crying like this. So please stop crying. Don't cry. One other thing before we end, and I don't know, I don't like getting too much reading too much into Prince's lyrics and saying you know his real life framing some of his lyrics, but it's impossible to get around entirely. I think. Right. But one thing about. The lines in the chorus, how can you just leave me standing alone in a world that's so cold? I wrote down just like, is this Prince channeling his inner child about, you know, feeling abandonment from his his parents? Those of us who know have read his biographies and know where, you know, how he kind of bounced around from house to house growing up when he was a teenager and his dad taking him in for a while and his mom remarrying him and he didn't get along with his stepfather and Maybe he felt a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe not literal abandonment because he had a place to live when he wanted it, but he just never really felt like either parent wanted him that much, maybe. And so he kind of felt abandoned. I thought I would bring it up just because I know that some people probably look at those lines and think of his home life and his, his teenage years growing up and potentially feeling like he was abandoned by his mom or his dad. And in, in really kind of um, pushing those feelings to the forefront, like I said, like his inner child coming out and asking these questions about his his youth and, and maybe some of the pain that it caused him. Have you right. ever thought of that as well? Just curious uh, I mean, name. definitely. Like, you know, like you, I've always, you want to... You, you want to like try and leave space. Like I, I'm always a little hesitant to interpret, you know, yeah. uh, in general. Um, Cause I, I always like leaving that, that space for other possibilities. And, uh, you know, I think, as, you know, cr- as critics, we're kind of taught to like, try and not treat everything as autobiographical. I think music, especially it lends itself so much to autobiography. You know, most songs are in the first person, Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very, it's a very like intimate form, but I also think that, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to keep myself from, from ever allowing for, for, for something to be autobiographical. I think Prince was, I think the more we, and especially the more we learn, you know, the, the more we hear about his life, he did express, you know, uh, feelings about, himself and his relationships and uh, you know he was he was a lot more kind of hard on his sleeve than i think we were led to believe um <laughs> you know yeah. during while he was here making music uh there's a lot more autobiography in this music than than i than i think he wanted to admit um so there's definitely an element of that i think it's interesting you know i mean abandonment is such a is such a theme through all of his music um it's one of the like singular themes that he comes back to again and again all through his career and even uh in his autobiography that that came out late late last year you know he he told the editor and co-writer that the story of his parents you know like trying to figure out how his parents shaped him is is the like it's one of the biggest like mysteries and, and sort of, you know, conflicts of, of his life. Like he, he, I I don't, I don't have the book in front of me. I don't have the actual, the specific quote, but that's the gist of of what he said, that this is like, you know, 
this is one of the things that has kind of driven him his whole life. And I think when he writes about his parents in the book, it's interesting because it, it's almost like he got as close as he was ever going to get with When Doves Cry, with this very simple, you know, maybe I'm just like my father, maybe I'm just like my mother. He uses more words in The Beautiful Ones, the autobiography, but he doesn't really get closer to the heart of it. And I and I think, you know, part of that is because these questions, you know, can't be answered. And I think it's it's hard it's hard to get there. Um, it, it's hard it's hard to go deeper with these kinds of questions. And I think something something was holding him back from from digging any deeper. And this is kind of you know this is as right there in front of everyone in 1984. He basically got as close as he was going to get to figuring <laughs> figuring it out. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, I just wonder, like, some of the things, like, maybe I'm just too demanding or too bold. I wonder if those were things that he had heard other people say about him. Right. <laughs> because we know from, you know, from people speaking about working with him, um, other musicians, people that knew him at this time of his life, knew he was, he was, could be a very demanding person when it came to creating music and making music and performing music. I don't think that's any secret, right? So it could be like some self-reflection going on here, even though this is in the context of a film when he plays somebody who's also demanding and, right. you know, a little bit cold and never satisfied. But Purple Rain is not an autobiography, but there's certainly aspects of it that aren't that far from the likely real truth. That one yeah. can't say, like, maybe this is stuff that he already knew about himself. It wouldn't be such a stretch for me to think that maybe this is something he's thinking about of himself as he's writing this. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, this is obviously speculation on my part. But I, I just, I think for someone like Prince who was in his non-artistic life, you know, was not very forthcoming <laughs> about his emotions... I think this movie that was like sort of autobiographical, but uh, but mostly not, um, sort of freed him up to do some some soul searching, and he yeah. had this he he had this ability, you know, he he was able to kind of to to say, well, this is about the character, you know, and and he was able to kind of use that as a as a as a shield almost, and then do some some real, I mean, you know, Computer Blue is is pretty cutting. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of going pretty deep on a few songs on this album. Oh, yeah. And I think there's, there's an element where having it like, oh, it's about the movie gives him some plausible <laughs> deniability. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, even, I, I think there was, uh, there was something about, uh, one of the last interviews he gave, uh, you know, he was responding to this idea of like, everybody thinks the beautiful ones is about Susanna Melvoin and he's saying, well, it's not, but he also doesn't say it's about vanity. He's like, I wrote it for the movie. It's about the character. And it's like, <laughs> we all, it's not about, you know, like, yeah, yeah. okay. We're, call, we're all like, calling bullshit. <laughs> <that one>. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it is, it, I, I do think that he was able to use the movie as a mask and really explore himself in a way that, that he hadn't um, as much. 
Yeah, wow. So that, yeah, we're digging deep into psychology. (laughs) (laughs) It is a perfect way to do that for somebody who's really not comfortable exposing themselves, really, at least at that point in his career and just exposing himself to millions and millions of people on that level, even though he was very comfortable exposing himself in other ways, (laughs) right? (laughs) sexual side of himself, but then to get into like, I don't know, the yucky feelings deep down inside that you know, have been festering inside of him for, since he was much younger. You know, it's 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 therapeutic, but it's also very scary. And to have, like you said, have that shield and have that ability to hide behind, a, you know, a plot of, of, a, of a film to say, like, this isn't really me singing about myself or none of this is rooted in reality. This is all about the kid. And because, you know, I need another song for the film. I wrote it about this this relationship that he has with this woman and also his parents end of story right, right. Uh, don't don't think too deep into it you know <laughs> <laughs> don't overthink it um but that's what we're doing because that's what i do on this show is overthinking and i thought it would be i would be remiss to not mention the potential connections in the course to his his home life in real life so right right I thought I had to do it because if I didn't, somebody was going to call me out for it. Yeah, <laughs> for good reason. Because it's, yeah. it's it's there whether we not we we want to you know talk about it or whether or not we have any right to talk about it or to claim it is or isn't. We can at least bring it up and say these are some ways people have interpreted this song over the years, especially as we learned more and more about him. Right. We didn't know that much about him in 1984 by his choice, but. You know, we're, it's 36 years later. We've we've learned a lot about him since then. So, all right. Well, that is the end of When Doves Cry, Zach. You have any other comments before we close it out? Not really. I mean, you know, this is the, this is a huge, huge song. There's so much. There's so much there. You know, I I, I think uh, it's really only three verses and and the chorus a couple times, but like. That's like saying it's just a keyboard and a guitar, and you know, like it's yeah. it, there's it's it's so much more than the than the sum of its parts in in every way. Um, so I'm sure that I'm going to hang up and be like, oh, I wish I'd said you know, there's like something else. Like I had this other brilliant thought, you know, that I, I think this is one of those songs like Little Red Corvette that I think was the last one that you and I talked about that is like this level of a masterpiece it's one of those songs that we're going to be talking about for decades uh you know it really is like this is this is literature this is art and um the fact that it was also such a huge commercial breakthrough makes it all the more impressive i think yeah for sure this could have been a buried as a i don't know an album deep album cut and uh, it would still have the same impact in some ways, but it wouldn't in other ways, meaning like it wouldn't have had the cultural impact that it ended up having. And we're just, I'm just thankful that this was the lead song. <laughs> Let's Go Crazy would have made much more sense to be right, right, the lead yeah. song from this album because it kicks off the film, kicks off the album. It's very energetic. It's, it's rock-based, you know, in a, in a time when pop music was very rock-based. So yeah, it would have made more sense, but no, they they went with One Does Cry, and and in retrospect, it was a great choice. But I'm sure there was probably some 
some concern from uh, studio <laughs> executives and record label executives. Like, do we really want to lead with this song? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, what? How wild is that? That that paid off uh, to the degree that it did. Shouldn't have, but it did. Okay, Zach. So, how can uh, people reach you if they'd like to say hi and check out what you're doing? Yeah, so I I am also doing a, a track by track uh, project related to Prince. It is um, I'm still stuck in 1999. I've been so <laughs> been so kind of overwhelmed with my with my day job that I I, I thought I'd be further along than I am. But um, it's a good time to jump on board because the next post that I put out, which may be out by the time that this you know let's be optimistic maybe it's out by then i'm almost done with it it's been taking me forever but i'm almost done it's about the song 1999 and there's a lot to talk about there um it's 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 going to be a very long post (laughs) so um you you know when that comes out you can find it on uh the blog is called dance music sex romance you can find it on princesongs.org uh, you can also follow me um, if you want to find out when it comes out. You can follow me on social media. I think basically on everything, Facebook and Twitter, the handle is uh, DMSR blog. So, um, yeah, now you can uh, now there's a way to follow me without having to uh, <laughs> listen to my opinions about other things. So, <laughs> All right. Well, I look forward to reading it when it comes out. Uh, enjoy your enjoy your writing. So thank you again for joining me, Zachary. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so this has been the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. I've been your host, Jason Brenninger. And until next time, thank you very much and goodbye. Goodbye.